0: Ultimate Escape is a family-friendly ministry that addresses sexuality. Some episodes may contain sensitive terms and subject matter, especially for younger children. Welcome to the Ultimate Escape podcast. I'm David Chenault. We want to thank you for joining us on this journey of a podcast put together by the folks at Ultimate Escape. Steve and Holly Holiday, founders of Ultimate Escape, have dedicated their lives to starting a dialogue between teenagers and parents, school teachers and church leaders, discussing sexuality. From a God-centered perspective, bringing a truth, as they say, that leads to freedom. If you'd like to find out more about Ultimate Escape, you can listen, of course, to those previous podcasts, as well as visit them on their website. That's ultimateescape.org. This is the last of the first four episodes of our podcast, and we put them all together to kind of give you an idea of where Ultimate Escape came from. In the first couple of podcasts, you heard Steve's story and Holly's story, and then Steve and Holly's story together in their marriage, and this will wrap it up with the beginning of Ultimate Escape. Okay, Steve Holiday and his wife Holly with us today. Uh, hello, how are you guys today? Hey, doing good. So, um, you can talk over there. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs>
0: Because well is the proper adverb.
1: I, I'm a do-gooder. <laughs> that sounds so much better than a do-weller.
0: It does sound better than a do-weller. you're do- a near-do-well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What are we talking about today? <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about the, the, the beginnings of, uh, of Ultimate Escape. Now, you guys have in the past shared um, your stories. You've shared your stories individually. Um, uh, we've got those uh, on previous podcasts available if you'd like to listen to those. And you've shared your story um, together as it relates to, uh, to your marriage and uh, and and going through the rough times uh, and eventually seeking out healing. Um, and we've said several times in the past, uh, you guys have talked about uh, the fact that we are a product of our experiences. Uh, and, uh, and, in fact, we've settled on a word, uh, a passion, the passion that comes out of those experiences, I think, um, drives us to, uh, to want to do better, not just for ourselves, but maybe for others as well, whether that's for our kids um, or for friends or family or, or our other folks out there. So um, tell me a little bit about how, um, just recap just briefly, uh, just very, very briefly. Each of you had your individual stories, struggles on your own, and then a somewhat uh, started trying to deal with those struggles. Uh, it, it resulted in a, a difficult marriage and then struggling through that. Uh, and then kind of walk us through how we got to uh, ultimate escape. So um, who would start first?
2: You know, Holly and I both had sexual brokenness in our background, got married. Um, the effects of that uh, very quickly took a toll on our relationship. Um, me basically unable to have any kind of intimate emotional connection and Holly thirsting for that. You know, We survived eight years or so of not complete misery, but a lot of misery. <laughs> in there. Began marriage counseling in the early uh, 2000s. Things got a lot better. Uh, Holly began her journey in 2001 dealing with her background. Uh, I ran across a ministry called Bethesda Workshops in Nashville, Tennessee in uh, April of 2002, and my recovery began. And two years into that recovery, uh, our church is going through the uh, Rick Warren's book, The 40 Days of Purpose, uh, campaign, you know, the Purpose Driven Life, and it, I've said before about every church on the planet was doing this campaign of the 40 Days of Purpose uh, back in early 2004, and as a result of that, my prayer was, God, please help me see your purpose for my life. If there's anything that, that you've planned for me to do beyond church-based youth ministry, which is what I had been doing for several years and loved it, uh, loved the church we were at in Greensboro, North Carolina, love the kids. I loved everything about what I did. But God, if you've got something beyond this in mind, please reveal it to me. And literally within a few weeks, the vision for Ultimate
1: Escape uh, unfolded. The interesting thing for me in listening to Steve share that is that for probably a good six to eight months prior to this time he's talking about, I sensed a restlessness in him. That's, That's the only way I know to describe it, where I just wasn't sure he was happy doing what he was doing and then I even said to him, you know, are, do you still want to be a youth minister? And he's like, Well yeah, this is what I always want to do And I said, Well, okay. If there's anything else you want to do, yeah, I'm okay with that. We'll get through it. We'll we'll do whatever you want to do because I just sensed some unrest there and that maybe there was something else for him to do.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very accurate perception she had. There there was something bubbling beneath the surface in me. And to, to look at that through a spiritual lens, I think God's spirit was preparing me to be open for something. I had known for years that eventually I wanted to you know be able to do counseling. And I had a conversation with one of our elders, uh, the elder who was over youth at the time. And this was, was several years earlier. I said, you know, I, I'd love to be able to a counselor and you know and offer that it's what I do in youth ministry but if it involves you know having to move away and and leave here then I'm I don't want to do that at all it, it, I, I loved where I was at so much that it you know if, if doing something um, that I also loved meant giving that up wasn't open to that so I, I look back at those months before think God's spirit was moving in me to to get my heart ready to be open to something that was different
1: well, and we both loved where we were. Our kids had gotten into a charter school that we were extremely pleased with. Felt very fortunate to have that. Loved the church family there. Uh, loved my friends. Just very happy. Liked the area. Liked where it was in proximity to not too terribly far away from family. You know, still within a day's drive. Had no intention of ever leaving for any reason. Yeah, really. and,
2: and things had gotten so much better. You know, for us mm-hmm. as a married couple, for us individually, I mean, you know, life was good. Um, and and the thought of leaving that to do something different on the surface, uh, would, <clears throat> I would have run away from that. But
0: Well, you're setting up the story to sound like it's going to be a very sudden and dramatic, <laughs> maybe even scary kind of thing. Uh, are we on the... Is is the is the psycho is the curtain about to be pulled back? It, it is
2: uh, because God pulled the curtain back, and it was a different uh, different future than I had ever envisioned. Basically, you know my my prayer, God help me, you know, lead me. If there's a different purpose, was God revealed the purpose of, uh, you know, let's begin a ministry that helps young people overcome sexual struggles. And at first, you know, I wasn't looking to go begin something new. It was, hey, what, what what's going on that we could join in. And I was on the phone with uh, Abilene Christian University because I knew they had a strong counseling program. I was on the phone with Focus on the Family. I was on the phone with several counselors who specialized in treating sexual addiction among adults. And my question to everyone was, who's out there dealing with teens who are struggling with addictive sexual behavior? And it was a unanimous, nobody is. At least nobody knew of anybody who was focused on that with teens. So I thought, well, if nobody's doing it, It certainly needs to be done because everybody that I had met in recovery, all of our stuff started in childhood or early adolescence. It's not like we became sex addicts as adults. This is stuff that existed way early. So why isn't somebody intervening during those formative years before it grows so big and the consequences become so difficult?
1: Well, when you think back to the time frame this was, this was in 2004. And so as the Internet had become more and more prevalent You know, everybody had it in their home at this point. Um, Cell phones still, you know, were very, very basic at that point if you had one. But even given just the home Internet access, the number of students in ministry that Steve had come to him saying, Hey, I'm having a hard time. This is what I'm doing. I want to quit. I don't seem to be able to. And that number was it just kept going up. And these are only the kids who had enough. I don't know what the word is, but we're brave enough to actually say something to him. And I think for everyone that did, there are probably three that couldn't. And even in the last year, before we left, the church we were working at, I think there were six marriages that ended in divorce that year. And every single one of them, sexual addiction was a component of the problem. So, you know, to us, it just made sense, especially having lived through what we've lived through, that, you know, if somebody could start addressing this way back here, and help kids before they're in a relationship, married, have kids, you know, before those lives all get impacted, it would be a much better way to address this.
2: In my last year there in youth ministry at the church in North Carolina, uh, I literally did do the math. And of all of our high school students, okay, so the the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th graders at that time, of the situations that I knew about, As Holly said, I'm sure there are some that I didn't, but of the ones I knew about uh, that were struggling in some type of sexual behavior, whether that, you know, was they had been victims of sexual abuse, um, struggling with um, a porn problem, um, doing things, you know, with boyfriend or girlfriend that that went too far. Uh, Seventy percent of our high school students just in that youth group. And that's back in 2004. I mean, we knew it was an issue that needed to be addressed, and it, it appeared there was nobody out there that that was their main focus.
0: So where do you go from there? I mean, you've identified, obviously, this need and this vacuum that's existing uh, to serve this need. Well, I mean, where do you go? How do you start that?
2: Well, we knew that I wanted to have clinical training and not do more harm than good even though well-intentioned. I can speak from my recovery. We can speak from our experiences, but I want to make sure that I've got the training to do this right. Uh, I put a plan together and submitted that to our elders at the church where I was a youth minister. and said, here's what I'd like to do. And they said, well, give us some time. Let us look at this, and we may be able to find a way that you could continue working as our youth minister and get the education that you want and, and just give us some time. Uh, So there was a period of several weeks where I'd I'd had that conversation that was in their hand. We were waiting. And during those weeks, Holly and I had a conversation. And in that conversation, realized both of us felt the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's something I haven't shared is that I like to know I can deal with anything, but I need to know. And I want to know as early as possible. And I want to know as much as possible so that I can deal with it. So by nature, I like the safe option. In all of this, because what we could do is stay there and work. He could still be a youth minister. He could start working on his master's part time at a university there in town. Um, stay where we are. Kids stay in the same school. He gets his education. I get to stay in my favorite church and in my favorite Bible study down the road. You know, everything's good. Or to still stay in the same city, but just go to school full time. The third option, which to me was the most, un- had the most unknowns was to go to school where he really wanted to go to school because he knew the worldview from which his classes were taught would, would coincide with his. But that involved leaving full-time employment, leaving a town that we loved, schools that our kids were happy in, and moving to a completely different state. So naturally, that would be the option that I was least comfortable with. But in praying about it separately and then coming back together and talking about it, we both really felt like that's what God was telling us to do. And I have even said I, it was so clear to me that that's what we were supposed to do, that to do it any differently would have felt disobedient. And we had some really interesting stories of confirmations. When Holly and
2: I had that conversation, realized both of us felt the same leading. Thought, OK, this has to be a Holy Spirit thing, because n- neither of us would just choose to go this route based on our personal preferences. Uh, and so... That required making the decision to uproot. So we had that conversation on a Friday. The next evening, I sat down and I typed out my letter of resignation. And the emotion is bubbling back up even as I talk right now. I mean, I I boo-hooed. I mean, tears are dropping all over my keyboard as I'm typing this letter out because I love that church. I love those kids. But I turned in that letter the next day, that Sunday, and knew that was the right thing to do. And we had no idea how in the world it was all going to work out. I knew I, had, I wanted to go to school at Regent uh, University in Virginia Beach because all the research I'd done I identified two options that had the accreditation, the accreditation that I felt was important uh, and from a Christian worldview, uh, and it was Regent or ACU in Abilene, uh, and Regent was four hours away. Abilene was, you know, half the continent away, and so decided to go to Regent. Uh, hadn't even submitted an application, hadn't gotten accepted, nothing. I've already resigned my youth minister position because we're planning on doing this, right. and that, that's how much you know motivation yeah. by faith. that, Hey, God's called this, and I trust that it's going to work out. And it truly was an exercise in faith. People wondered what in the world was <laughs> motivating this, and what's going on? What's the real story? Right. And, you know, I had some family members asking about: Is this a midlife crisis? Uh, literally we had people that thought we'd lost our mind and, and were mm-hmm. literally going crazy. Uh, well, how are your kids going to eat? You know, how, how are you going to put food on the table? How are you going to pay your bills? Where are you going to live? I, I don't know.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. We've got no answers. I, I just... got, I got to the point where I would tell people as they ask, well, where are you going to live? I'd say, well, we're looking really carefully at this, the two sixty four overpass. <laughs> I think there's enough space. You know, we might have to put some of us on one side and some of us on the other, but I think we can live there. Not to be snarky, but we just we just didn't have all the answers yet. And so here we are trying to do what God, we feel like God has clearly called us to and take this step of faith. And all the people in our faith communities think we have just gone nuts. Right.
0: But out of that, it worked. It did.
2: Uh, <clears throat> one of the staff members asked, well, what are you going to do if you don't get accepted? <laughs> I stood there like a you know, deer in the headlights and thought, I never... Thought about that possibility, you know, and, and you know, part of that is is kind of the I don't have a tendency to think a long way into the future. Um, that's just that's my mo. Uh, the other side of that is I felt so confident that mm-hmm. this is exactly what God was calling us to do. That who cares? At some point, either you you truly do take a step of faith and trust God's going to work it all out, or we don't really believe God really does that anymore. Uh, and that's the that's the feeling I had is I do, do I believe that God is God and God works miracles mm-hmm. and, and the spirit leads people to do things and God calls us to do things by faith. Or do I believe that eh, that was Bible stuff and really now you just do what makes a lot of sense. So we took the stuff of faith and over the course of the summer, you know, got things lined up and I got accepted, started school. We, we moved to Portsmouth, Virginia, bought this little house, the, about the only house we could afford Uh, (laughs) Um, thankfully the bank approved the loan and I think that was a God act right there because if they looked at the paperwork carefully, um, they might not have, I don't know, but it all worked out. And so
1: I think, you know, through that whole process, there were so many times that God was just overly faithful. I mean, I know that God is faithful, but he made a phone call to a, a local counselor when he called and spoke to her. He had the most interesting conversation.
2: Actually, this occurred while I was driving the U-Haul that we were moving uh, in, uh, and I can't remember now the specifics of why I was calling her, but it had nothing to do with, you know, our move or ultimate escape or anything. She picked up the phone. You know, I, I said, hey, this is Steve. And before I could say anything else, she said, hold on one minute. I just need to tell you that God gave me a message for you and you are doing exactly what it is he wants you to do. You know, talk about prophetic so and, and and that went a long way to helping me feel even more confident. Both of us kind of sat there like, whoa, there's an act of God for today right there. <laughs> um and, and but at that point every every single thing that was confirmation helped us mm-hmm. feel even more confident. Okay, that yes, we're taking a step of faith. Yes, we trust God and we're human and we still have doubt. And so anything mm-hmm. that helps us deal with that doubt is a helpful thing.
0: So School comes along.
2: School comes along. It's been two, two years, years um, living in, you know, lived in Portsmouth and schools in Virginia Beach. So I drove 20, 25 minutes or so uh, to campus most days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a lot of days when I thought bankruptcy was around the corner. And um, literally, um, there was one point, and it was probably um, mid-2005, early 06, somewhere in there, uh, where I stayed up late one night because there was no money in in our account to pay a bill the next day, uh, and I thought okay that this is this is it you know we've we're and again, this is one of those moments of doubt. I typed out a letter to our board and said here 's the situation here 's where we 're at, but logically, I trust God, and I trust that god 's going to work it all out so you know b- before I lay my head on my pillow that night. The truth, God called us to do this, and we're doing what he's called us to do, and God's going to take care of it. You know, that that truth wins out. And the doubt is, <laughs> this is going to crash and burn tomorrow morning. But but truth won out. And sure enough, uh, the next day uh, in the Ultimate Escape mailbox was a check, a pretty large check uh, from a donor who didn't know you know how bad things were financially, but believed in the mission of Ultimate Escape and had sent a check. Uh, and so, hey, that carried us for you know a few more months, and um, we lived to fight another day. And and it just it's been filled. The, the whole journey has been filled with those kinds of moments where, hey, it looks like tomorrow, I don't see how this is gonna work, but God always steps in. And, and I, wow, I wish now I journaled through all oh, these years gosh. of all those stories because it'd be you know, it'd be pretty sure. really neat to have sure. a, a spot where they're all recorded. Right. Uh, but just to know that this whole adventure of what has been now almost 15 years. Uh, we we made that decision in 2004. So we're coming up on, what, 13, 13 years. years. Yeah. yeah, We're still here. Uh, we've never missed a meal. God's provided. And it, it's been scary. It's been an adventure. It's been a roller coaster. Uh, and I wouldn't trade it for anything.
1: As I sit here and listen to Steve talk about this, I don't want to paint an inaccurate picture because it was not all just roses and sunshine, you know, the whole time. I said before that we were both so convicted that this was the right thing to do that to not do it felt like it would be disobedient. If I'd had any idea how hard it would be, I would have been disobedient. And I think that that's very uh, that holds true for any time that God calls you out of kind of the the normal every day to do something different. And that is, it it will be extremely hard. There will be days when you think, why in the world did we do this? Mm. We could go drive water trucks in Midland, Texas and make better money. I mean, you know, just the crazy things that you, that you think of when, when times get tough. And I think a lot of that is a, you know, a spiritual attack, but just always right there at the same time is God being extremely faithful. Mm. You know, we never missed a payment. We never, we never went without really in any way. It was difficult. Well, sure. we
2: did. We went without a paycheck for three months in 2007. Oh yeah,
1: we did. But um, we didn't do without. That's the yeah, crazy thing.
2: Even three months with no paycheck, uh, God provided. He provided in ways that were different than I would have preferred. He provided, <laughs> but He provided.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So okay. So so back me up just a little bit. Um, you head off to college or to 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 to, to your the, the program at Regent's. At what point did you say, let's put a board together, let's find people to support this effort? How did that come about?
2: Well, we started as a uh, a ministry under the umbrella of the church where we were at. The elders agreed to be overseers of the ministry. And so Ultimate Escape started there in Greensboro. Uh, And then once we got planted in Virginia, about six months into that, I got a phone call from one of them and said, hey, we, we believe in what you're doing. Uh, we we want to support you, but there's no way we can really oversee what you're doing, with you there and us here. So why don't you guys put a board together, and you know go in as a not-for-profit? Uh, we think that's a, a better plan long-term. And so we did. Uh, you know God had had brought people into our life who had uh, you know a number of different expertise, uh, who were willing to you know step in with us and be a part of that board, uh, and officially Ultimate Escape Incorporated in Virginia. Uh, the state of Virginia, on March the 29th, 2005. And we have continued to exist as a not-for-profit corporation, um, donor-driven. You know, we we do fee-for-service when I I speak and do presentations and we do counseling, uh, but we are largely, uh, we function as a donor-driven ministry.
0: Tell me about uh, choosing the name Ultimate Escape. Where did that come from? How, how did it come about?
2: That was an interesting process. I mentioned Brian Brown, a youth minister who is now at the church. Uh, he he was a member there, and it was in advertising. And so I asked him to come in and help me uh, design a logo and come up with a name for this new ministry. And so we just started writing words on the whiteboard and just filled the whiteboard with words that, that had something to do with this ministry. Uh, and then we started erasing. Uh, and the last two words left on the board were ultimate and escape. And so there we go. Ultimate escape and a double meaning. Uh, You know, a lot of people use sex as the ultimate escape uh, a behavior to uh, to change their mood. Uh, And once they get trapped in that, uh, overcoming that struggle, uh, living in freedom from that addiction is making the ultimate escape. So we have a, a word for the ministry sure. that has a double meaning. Sure.
0: Where do you go from here?
2: Yeah, we've tried to focus more in the last few years on equipping the equippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get in front of youth ministers, youth workers, teachers, coaches, parents, you know, uh, church leaders, and equip them uh, to do those frontline battles. I mean, it's one thing for me to go in and do a weekend event and talk about truth about sex and present that in a creative, fun way that, that people remember. It's another thing to have somebody who is in the life of that young person day in, day out, who's on the front lines with them, who's equipped to have those basic conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we've begun working with uh with youth with a mission, with YWAM, uh equipping those youth leaders. Uh when they go out there on the mission field and they're talking to teenagers and someone says, hey, I, I think I might be gay or you know my uh my uncle did this to me when I was six or I can't stop looking at porn or whatever their struggle may be. Uh, that that somebody knows how to have a conversation to help them move forward with that, uh, and not just feel stuck. Like, well, hey, it's a good thing you just told me that, but I really am not equipped to well, know what to do next. You. Yeah, uh, and and prayers are great. You know, we're not undervaluing the impact uh, of bringing in that spiritual dimension right. uh, and praying, and uh, and and you know, the spiritual is an a important dynamic here. But it goes beyond just a spiritual struggle. It, it involves emotions and behavior and, and mental, relational. Um, and, and so if we can equip people um, to have those basic conversations to, to walk that journey with young people, I think our ministry is uh, exponentially being more effective.
1: I think one of the ways that we make uh, a large impact is to be able to equip parents to have conversations with their children from an extremely young age. And there tends to be a lot of awkwardness associated with any kind of discussion about sex with your children. But I think we've kind of put ourselves and parents in that awkward position by not starting early enough. Because if you start talking to your two, three, four-year-old about how your body is different, you know, God made your body, and your body is a great thing, and it's different, you know, a little boy looks different than a little girl and here's why. And, you know, there are parts of your body that everybody can touch and there are parts of your body that, you know, we don't want anyone else to touch. When you start with that and then move at age-appropriate times, you know, it should be a constant conversation with little bits of age-appropriate information from the time they're very, very young. So that by the time they get to late elementary, early middle school age, you don't have to sit them down and have this awkward sex talk with them because they've had information the entire span of their life. And because of the brokenness in mine and Steve's own lives and how that affected our marriage, you know, we have four children and I feel like the older two kind of got the short end of the stick in that respect. And the younger two definitely saw us model that differently. It sets your kids up to be able to succeed. So when you know, you have a kid that's in fourth grade that goes to football practice and some kid at football practice in front of him is trying to explain to him what masturbation is and how he should do it because it feels great. He doesn't get intrigued by that and it doesn't become this unknown, Well, What is that? So-and-so said it felt good. Maybe I should try it. And Steve, you've got a kid that comes and says, Hey dad, guess what? So-and-so was talking about at football practice. And so Steve said, well, what was it? And he said, he was talking about masturbation and he was telling me why I should do it. And Steve said, well, Griff, what do you think about that? I don't think he should talk about that at football practice. I mean, that's, that's as far as it went. But it requires us, his parents, kind of taking a step and being willing to say the words that we don't really like to say. I think Steve had been speaking for about five years before I would not turn red every time he said the word masturbation. I would sit in the back and turn red like a teenager and be embarrassed. So it does not just come normal for me. Right. It's not comfortable. But it has to be done. And what I wish parents understood was their kids are getting information all the time. I don't care if you are the most uh, fastidious homeschooler or if your kids go to a private school. They get information. If they ever open their eyes, they see information on a daily basis. And I had rather them hear information from their parents from their worldview then abdicate and let the world fill them in with misinformation. Mm. So that's kind of, I've been on a soapbox recently about that because <laughs> they keep running into parents who think, oh, my child is 15. I just don't think they're ready to have that sex talk. Well, you know what? It's way too late at that point. <laughs>
0: sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for stopping by today. That is going to do it for us today and uh, wrap up the fourth in our first Four series of podcasts here with Ultimate Escape. If you'd like to find more information about how they can help you out at your school or maybe your home church, you can find more details on their website. It's all there at ultimatescape.org. And don't forget, we're going to be adding new podcasts on a regular basis on a variety of different topics, some of them very serious, some of them more lighthearted, but you want to make sure you catch all of them. You can do that by subscribing to our podcasts at several different locations on the internet, including Stitcher, TuneIn, Google's Play Music Store, and of course, iTunes. Simply go to your favorite website, search for Ultimate Escape, and then simply click on the subscribe button, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast drops on the website. Of course, you can find them all the time on our website at ultimatescape.org. Thanks for joining us. I'm David Chenault. This is the Ultimate Escape Podcast.